Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So last week we began a series entitled, I Hate Religion. And we are, we are looking at what the Bible teaches and Jesus says God really requires of his children. And we began by defining what religion is. Because when you start talking about religion, people can get nervous, people can get upset. You've got people on one side of the spectrum that hate religion and hate anything to do with God and think it's offensive to even talk about it. Then you've got people on the other side who they'll, they'll go to war, they'll kill over religion, and they'll, they'll die and fight for it. And then in the middle, there's a, a lot of people that get hurt. So when we're talking about religion, what we're really talking about is man-made paths to get to God, either to get to God for salvation or after salvation, after you become a believer, to get to God to please Him or to have a relationship with Him. And any time we try to get to God in our own strength and our own ability, it's, it's founded on pride. And it's found on the belief that the work necessary to get to God or to walk to God must be done by me. I'm the one who has to fix the problem. I'm the one who has to span the gap to get to God. I'm the one who has to do all the work to to do what's necessary to get to God and to please God. And we said last week that that is the religion of self. It's a religion of of believing myself and trusting myself. And so the religion of self always leads to dead ends. When I was in college, at the beginning of each semester, every class, the the professor would hand out a syllabus uh, for the upcoming semester. It would tell us what the required reading was going to be, what was expected of us, how many absences we could have, uh, what our grades were required. And if the professor was really good and really nice... He would give you a list of things you had to do to get a certain grade. You want an A, here's all the projects you have to do. Here's all the required reading you have to do. Here's all the tests you have to pass and what you have to get on them. If you want a B, it's a little bit less, so here's what you got to do. Here's the reading you got to do. You don't got to do as much. Here's the projects. It's not as much. And if you want to see, here's the bare minimum of what you have to do to pass the class. And I love that because some classes I hate and I thought I'm just doing bare minimum. I'm just here to get a passing grade. That's all I care about. That mindset happens in Christianity as well. If you want to be a minister, here's all the things you have to do. Here's all the lists you have to follow. Here's all the rules you have to obey. You don't want to be a minister, but you want to be a leader in the church. Well, here's your list. It's a little bit less, but there's still requirements of you if you want to be a leader in the church. If you want to just sit in a pew, 
then you can really take it easy and you still have a list, but it's not nearly as long. And so you've got your list of what you want to do. The leaders have their list of what they have to do. The minister has their list of what they want to do. And then if all you want to do is go to heaven, man, just skate by and just get into eternity, your list is real short. And we, we kind of take that same philosophy into our walk with God. And if you, when we realize that it's not about a, that it's about a relationship with our Heavenly Father, not a religion that we have to follow, then we are able to shoot past all those expectations and all those requirements and all those things that man has led us to believe is expected of us. Now, religion, following rules, following lists, it always leads to a dead end. Now, in life, dead ends are pretty bad. None of us like getting stuck on a dead-end street where we've got to turn around and go back the other way. But when it comes to religion, there are some dead ends that are necessary. We have to have the dead end of, of trusting ourselves and trying to believe ourselves, And we have to, have to reach the dead end of, of, of following these rules that we put upon ourselves, self-effort and self-trust. Now, God does not have a list of requirements and a list of rules that he expects his children to obey. That's not to say that as a child of God, you can do whatever you want to do. That's not to say that as a believer, then you can go out and live your life and, and, and hurt who you want to hurt and do what you want to do and there's no consequences. God doesn't have a list of requirements and a list of rules, but does, God does expect us to be holy because he is holy. God does expect us to, to have his character shown through our lives. He does expect us to have the fruits of the Spirit evident in our lives. But the difference is we don't obey God. We don't do those things because there are a list of things to do. We do them because God loves us and we love him. We obey not out of fear and not out of, of expectation. We obey out of love. And the truth is, and we see this in the lives of the Pharisees. You can obey God without loving God. They had the, the hour, they looked religious. They put on the clothes, they fasted, they tithed, they made sure everyone saw that they were following the rules. They were doing the list. They were doing exactly what was expected of them. They did, and the Pharisees, they had come up with these extra biblical rules that you had to follow. And there were thousands of them. And the really good Pharisees followed every single one of them to the T. And they made sure everyone knew it. But Jesus looked at him and said, you look real good on the outside, but the inside's your dead man's bones. The inside's your filthy. They obeyed God, but didn't love God. So you can obey and not love, but you cannot love God and not obey God. We obey because we love him. God has done all the work ahead of time for us to get an A, and it isn't up to us to try to earn this relationship with him. Look what the Bible says in Psalms 34, verse 8. It says that we should taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Those are action verbs. Those are action words. He's saying you are to taste and see how good God is to you. Now, when our kids first started eating solid food, they would eat stuff like cream spinach and, you know, uh, cream bananas and just, just really gross food. If you've ever tasted baby food, I'm not sure why we do that to our babies, but it's gross. Once they graduated to eating real food, like real mashed potatoes and real steak 
and real hamburger and real. They never wanted to say, Dad, can I go back to eating those cream peas? They were really, really good. Once they tasted how good real food is, they never wanted to go back to the fake, to the, to the processed stuff, the fake stuff, the gross stuff. Once you taste how good the grace of God is, you're never going to want to go back to following rules and lists to try to please him because you can't. And you realize that God has done everything for you. Once you taste his grace, you will never go back to legalism and rules. There's a, a, a phenomenon in our culture, in our society, known as the Mandela Effect. It is where people remember something specifically happening that didn't actually happen. It's called the Mandela Effect because many people remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison. But he didn't. He was released from prison, went on to be the president of South Africa. But a lot of people say, no, he died in prison. They remember a truth that's not really true. There's a lot of these effects out there. How about this one? How many of y'all remember eating Oscar Mayer when you were a kid? You had the, the wieners and the bologna, and we just loved Oscar Mayer. That's not Oscar Mayer. That's what it is. It's Oscar Mayer. But people see that first one and think, oh, that's, that's how it was spelled. That's not how it was spelled. It's spelled Oscar Mayer. What about this book? How many of y'all either grew up reading or being read the Bernstein Bears? It's not the Bernstein Bears. It's the Bernstein Bears. You can't see it, but there's an A there. It's not S-T-E-I-N, it's S-T-E-I-A-N. So it's the Baron Stain Bears. Here's one that some of the younger people may get. How many of y'all remember Pikachu? Man, Pikachu. Everybody loves Pikachu with his, his, his iconic black tail. But his tail's not black. He doesn't have a black spot on his tail. It's completely solid yellow. But people remember that he has uh, a, a distinctive black mark on his tail. Here's another one. We all remember Darth Vader? Man, we love Darth Vader, don't we? The famous scene where he's at the end of, of, the, of, the, of the Return of the Jedi, and he's fighting Luke, and he cuts off Luke's hand, and Luke's saying, I know what you did to my father, and he says, Luke, I am your father. But did he say that? And you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. But everybody thinks he said, Luke, I'm, Luke, I am your father. But he says, no, I am your father. But people remember these things. Now we're going to dismiss and go watch Star Wars. Because it's the greatest show ever, except the three that Lucas did afterwards that are an abomination and do not par are part of the, the, the canon. Anyway, we have these ideas of what we think are true even if they're not. They're just, well, I, that's what I've always been told, or that's what I've always been heard, or well, that's what I remember, so that's what's true. So I wanna, want you to consider that some things you have assumed about your walk with God, some things you have assumed about Christianity, maybe even some things you've been taught about God, they may not be true. You think they are because that's what you've always been told. You think they are because that's what everybody says, but they're not really true. Many people think that the essence of Christian living 
is finding out what the Bible says and trying to live that out. Many people are, are hoping to get to heaven because they are trying to live out the principles in the Bible. And the same believer that knows they cannot come to God for salvation, because every one of us here, I believe, knows you don't come to God for salvation through works. We all understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I believe if I asked any of us here, can you work your way to heaven, we would emphatically say, no, you cannot work to heaven. It's a gift of God. It's by His grace. That's the only way to get to Him. But the same believer that knows that it's only by the grace of God and nothing by what we do to come to God for salvation believes that we have to work really hard to walk with God after salvation. By working to God to try to live out the Bible and follow the rules, we are, we are trying to live out what we think God wants of us. One writer said this. He said, The subject of grace has suffered so much neglect that people inside and outside the church find that it contradicts everything they understand about religion. The biggest area of neglect in the subject of grace revolves around the question, how do we live the Christian life? How do we live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God? We know we don't come to God by any work of our own, but for some reason, after salvation, many believers think, now that God did all the work to save me, it's up to me to do all the work to stay with him and to walk with him and to fellowship with him. That mentality, that wrong way of thinking, is called legalism. And it is a religion of works. It is legalism. The, when we all know the story of Israel leaving, bond, leaving Israel out of bondage, Moses came, and we've all seen the movie with Charleston Heston where he said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And finally, Pharaoh lets him go, and Charlton Heston leads him across the Red Sea, and they collapse the Red Sea on the Egyptian army and destroys the Egyptian army. That scene in the Bible where God did all the work. Because what did Moses do? All Moses did was do what God said. Hold your staff up. Boom, there's a river of blood. Do this and there's locust. And God did all the work. God killed all the firstborn in Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. God did everything to lead Israel out of bondage and destroy their enemy. And that is a picture of what it means to come to God. God does all the work. We don't do anything but obey God and walk with God. He does everything. God wants us to leave the land of religion, to leave the land of rules, to lead the land of law, and come to the land of grace. Just like he, God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 3, too many of us, he says, you have not passed this way before. Too many believers have tasted grace for salvation but they've not passed that way to live with God. To live in grace is to experience life in a brand new way. To live in grace <clears throat> is to go somewhere you've never been before. So what if I told you that most of what you learned about living the Christian life is wrong? What if there was a better way to live out the Christian life in a way that you've never done before? But in order to get there, you have to ask yourself 
a couple questions. Here's the first question you've got to ask yourself. What do I believe? What do I believe about walking with God? What do I believe about living for God? What you misbelief is the biggest factor in most of the struggles that we face in the Christian life. Because how you believe changes how you behave. And how you think causes you to act a certain way. If you want to find out why you act a certain way, you have to go back to find out, find out what you believe on that, what your thoughts are on that. You know, we've all been born into a culture that is full of religious ideas. And all the religious ideas that we have in our culture and in our world, they all share one thing in common. Every religion teaches and emphasizes that our favor with God is maintained through specifically defined behavior. Our behavior has absolutely nothing to do with our gaining or maintaining our favor with God. One writer said this, it's not so much what we don't know, but what we think we know that obstructs our vision of the Father. How many of you were told when you were, before you were parents, or you were told by your parents that if you went swimming after you ate, if you had, you had to wait 20 minutes, otherwise you were going to get a cramp and die? How many of y'all were told that? They tell you if you, you eat, you can eat a, a rich cracker, and if you go swimming 20 minutes after, before 20 minutes is up, you're going you're to die. You're going to get a cramp, and you're going to drown, and no one's going to save you, and that's it. That's the end of your life. We were all told that, but it's not true. It's a myth. A doctor has come out and said, you can, you can swim while you're eating, and it doesn't affect you. But I remember having to sit on the, the beach blanket, waiting to digest my sandwich before I could go. I lost hours of pleasure because my mother believed a lie. And that's what a lot of Christians are. We lose hours and years and decades of the joy that we can experience with God because we believe a guy, believe a lie. Believing that the will of God is a list of difficult things that God wants you to do is like that. You may think you have the truth, but you've been believing a lie. See, your focus needs to move away from the lists that man has given us, the, the do's and don'ts that we think are right. Religion has created an image of an angry, vengeful, judgmental God that is judging and grading your life. And that picture of a religion, it makes people run from God. It makes people run from his church. It makes people run from the grace of God. So instead of running from a mean God, we are to look at him and see him for who he is. A loving, gracious, merciful, heavenly father, and we are to run to him. Now the thing is, most of us in this room, most of us are legalists and don't even know it. We have these ideas of what it means to be a good Christian. What it means to be a good follower of Jesus. And if, if someone doesn't live up to what we think it is to be a good Christian, then we assume that they're backslidden or that they're unsaved and we, we judge them. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm not a legalist. Those, those people around me are. But I'm not a legalist. Well, let's take a quiz to see if you are a legalist. So here's some, here's some questions I want to ask you. Who are you? Are you A... 
a sinner saved by grace, or B, righteous and growing in maturity? If you answered and said, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you're wrong. You're not a sinner saved by grace. That's why I hate that song. Once you're saved, you're a righteous before God. You're not a sinner. God doesn't see you as a sinner saved by grace. God sees you as righteous as Jesus Christ. So you are righteous and growing in maturity. Here's another one. Why do you spend time with God? Why do you read your Bible, pray, go to church? Because that's what you should do or because you are like Jesus? I hope we all know the answer is not A. We don't spend time with God because it's what we should do. We spend time with God because we're like Jesus, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus spent time with the Father. Here's a good one. Why are you glad you are saved? Because you're going to heaven and avoiding the penalty of hell? Or because you have a relationship with Jesus? You should notice the pattern. It's never A. Are you glad you're going to heaven and avoiding hell? Sure. But the reason we should be glad that we're saved is we have a relationship with Jesus. Here's one. Why do you read the Bible? To see what God expects of you or to have fellowship with God? Of course, it should be to have fellowship with God. Now, that doesn't mean as you read the Bible to have fellowship with God, you see what God expects of you. But your purpose for reading the Bible isn't to see what God expects of you, because then you know what to list obey. Your purpose for reading the Bible is to fellowship with God so he can show you how he wants you to live. Here's a true or false one. Do you believe that being a good Christian means attending church, praying, reading the Bible, and witnessing? If you answer true, you're wrong. That's what a good Christian does, yes, but that's not the definition of being a good Christian. Because of our fellowship, relationship with God, this is what comes out of it. And there are all types of lists that we can come up with, that we can think makes us spiritual. When someone doesn't follow those lists, then what we typically do is we we look down upon them. When I was a youth pastor, I had lots of lists. Men couldn't wear shorts, ever. Now look, men can't wear short shorts, ever. There are some shorts men should not wear, just for the sake of all of our eyeballs. But I believe, you know, men, men don't wear shorts. Men always have to wear long pants. No matter how hot it is, it could be 170 degrees. You better have on a long, pair of long pants, and they better not be denim, bless God. They better be khaki or dress pants. Women couldn't wear pants at all. When they had to wear skirts, they'd be long, flowing skirts that, that, that were very modest. You, you couldn't listen to any music that was played on Spirit FM because all Christian contemporary music was, was wicked and of the devil. If you did sing a song in church, the song you sung had to be at least 10 years old because, of course, any modern song was, was unbiblical unless you waited 10 years and suddenly it became scripturally sound. Never understood that logic. Can't read that, can't sing that song, it's only nine years old, it's wicked. Wait a year, then it's fine. If you did, and everything that was sung in the church from the congregation had to be from the hymn book, because the hymn book, and I literally, people said this, the hymn book was just as inspired as the Bible. And I believe this stuff, and I taught this stuff. And if you were going to use a Bible, it had to be the King James only. Bless God, everything else was a wicked perversion. 
These are things people told. And look, I've got to take a rabbit trail here. Last week I shared an article. I don't know how many of you read it, but I shared an article. It was written by me. It was written by a friend of mine about people who are KJV only. And his whole point was, don't freak out. We're not going to go from the King James. But why are you King James only? What's your logic? Are you King James only because you believe that the King James was, God inspired the translators of the King James? If that's what you believe, then fine. You're wrong, but own it. If you believe it's because of a textual argument, and we're not getting to the textual argument if you ask questions, I'll ask you, but it's a superior text, then fine. That's why you want to use it. You like the text better. Fine, then don't be opposed to people who use things from other texts. And that was his whole purpose. But there was one guy who wrote a, a comment uh, on this, and he wrote... Uh, before I comment on this article, I want to know some things about the author and his church. Does his church stand for the fundamentals of the gospel, the fundamentals of the Bible? And then he listed the fundamentals of the faith. Do they, pre, do they go door-to-door soul winning? Do they run buses? Do they teach modesty to their women? Those aren't the fundamentals of the faith. The fundamentals of the faith are the, are the, the blood atonement of Jesus Christ, the priesthood of the believer, the, uh, the, the infallible word of God. There's a lot of things that are fundamentals of the faith, but the things he listed aren't them. That's a legalist mindset. Here's a list of things people came up with I have to avoid. Men, I also believe that men who had facial hair were rebels, and if you didn't wear a suit to church, you were a liberal and not right with God. I've changed, <laughs> obviously. And I also believe that if you missed church for any reason besides being dead, then you didn't love God and he probably didn't love you. These are things that I've, I taught as a youth pastor. I'm ashamed to say I hurt people with these silly lists. And the lists can go on and on and on and on. And the fact is, if you, you may have some of those things or maybe a lot of those things on your list in the back of your head that thinks, yeah, that's right, they should only wear skirts. That's right, men shouldn't wear shorts. Again, some men shouldn't. No man should wear short shorts. But you have these things in your mind that you're like, if they don't do this, they're not right with God. And we have, and you can say you're not, but let's be honest. If someone walked into this church to sit down and they didn't look the way you think, somebody walks in, they got face tattoos, they got those big things like curtain hooks in their in their, their you know curtain rod through their ear, which I don't I don't get, but that you know you do you. But they come in, they got this certain look, and we look at them. I'm glad they're here. They didn't get get saved. They could be a better Christian than you ever were. But we judge them because they don't live up to our standard. So preacher, should you get a face tattoo? Not if you really want a good job, to be honest with you. But that's you again. You do you. It's a cultural thing. It's not a biblical thing. But we have these lists, and all those lists create on us a burden that we were never meant to carry. And a burden that we need to throw off. We need to throw off the burden that says you need to try harder to please God and to stay on his side. Because Jesus said in Matthew, he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Carrying a burden to work to earn his love isn't what Jesus wants from us. He wants us, he wants to love us and carry the burden for us. So you have to ask yourself, what do you believe? And then you have to ask yourself another question, 
if you know what you believe, is it true? Is it true? Is what you believe true? What does the Bible really say about the things that we put on our lists? What does God really have to say about those things? And when you, when you look at the Bible, we see that there's nothing that the believer can do to cause God to love them anymore. And there's nothing the believer can do to cause God to love them any less. And that, that means there's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. He already loves you with a perfect love. We have to look past religion to the grace of God and have our actions and have our beliefs governed by what the Bible says, not by what a man says. The Bible is always trustworthy. Man is not. The problem is, too many church people don't like giving too much grace to other people. You know, Paul faced the same problem. He said if you give people grace, people told Paul that if you give people grace, then they'll do whatever they want to do. Well, yes, exactly. If you give people grace, they'll do whatever they want to do. But thinking that that is a bad thing is because you don't understand the grace of God. I don't obey God and live for God to earn grace and to earn love. I obey God and live for God because I have grace and I am loved. Because God has given me so much and loves me so much, I do for him out of his love for me. And most legalists aren't bad people. I don't want to, some of them are. Some of them are terrible, terrible human beings. I'm going to be honest with you. But most of them are good people. Most of them are just misunderstanding. They want to do right. They want to please God. They want to obey. But the problems start when they think that the way that we live determines our righteousness in the eyes of God. Our righteousness in the eyes of God only comes from God. It is a gift from Him. When you came to God for salvation, you became a new creature. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you were given a new beginning. Through his death, not yours, through his burial, not yours, and his resurrection, you were made righteous with God. Not by anything you ever did or anything you ever could do, but by what he did. His righteousness on you is perfect and complete. And you have to let that sink into your heart and to your mind. And that brings us to Galatians, which you turned there a long time ago and you're thinking, are you ever going to read Galatians? Yes, right in a minute. Galatians is a book about God's grace. God's grace and God's favor to undeserving sinners. Not to those who act righteous or act real good to earn it. In Galatians, Paul is telling the church that you cannot mix law and grace. You can't mix works and grace. They don't go together. Works and grace are like oil and water. They do not mix. In Galatians, the church at Galatia, there was a, a group of believers called the Judaizers. 
the Judaizers were Jews who had become Christians. They had become true biblical believers, but they were telling other Jewish believers and Gentile believers that to be really saved, you had to obey the law. You had to follow the rules that they put forth in the Old Testament. So a Gentile could come to God for salvation and just through grace, but once they got saved, they had to go back and obey all the laws, specifically circumcision and the feast laws. They had to go back and obey all the laws that God gave Moses to keep their salvation and really be in favor with God. They said you had to become Jewish before you could be made righteous in the eyes of God. The first step was salvation, but then they had to follow the law. So look at first Galatians 1, <coughs> verse 6. Did I, did I say 6? Did I say Galatians 6 or did I say Galatians 1 at the beginning? I said, okay, well, I was wrong. Go to Galatians 1, verse 6. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there, were, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So I now say again, if any man preach another gospel unto you than what ye have received, let him be accursed. Now look, Paul isn't accusing these people of switching churches. He isn't accusing them of of moving membership. He is accusing them of abandoning the grace of God. He says they are twisting the truth. They are perverting the gospel. They are trying to change the very nature of what God says is true. And he says that that it throws them into confusion. Because now they don't know what they're supposed to do. Now they don't know what God expects of them. It causes trouble. They were stealing the peace that God had given them through grace. Because grace brings peace. Grace leads to freedom. Grace and peace always go together. You can see it in Paul's letter. Most of Paul's letters, when he opens up his letter, he says, grace and peace be unto you. You can't have peace if you're not living in grace. And he's saying, you adding to the grace of God, you twisting the grace of God, it is stealing the peace that God has for you. Look what he says in verse number, in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul didn't say, but I didn't, I worked real hard to get how I, who I am. I worked so hard and I pleased God so much that God gave me favorites right over over half the New Testament. No, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's nothing that I did. He goes, and by his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I laid, and listen to this, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Now, I know the leaguers are saying, look, Paul said he worked harder than all the rest, and that's what made him righteous. No, he said, I worked harder than all, but it wasn't me. It was God's grace in me that helped me do what God needed me to do. Paul says, whoever twists the truth deserves destruction. In his day, that was the gospel plus the law of Moses. In our day, legalism is the gospel plus all the lists that we come up with. When a sinner is saved, they're set free. 
They're set free from all bondage. When a sinner is saved, he is redeemed. He is purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is set free from the bondage of sin, the bondage of religion, and the bondage of any human system. Look what Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He is saying, If Christ has really set you free, stay free. Don't become a slave to a man-made religious system again. Jesus sets you free. Stay free. John tells us that if the Son sets us free, then we're free indeed. If you have been justified, don't go back into bondage. Justification is a one-time event where God declares the believing sinner righteous in the eyes of, because of Jesus Christ. When you become a child of God, you are declared not guilty and will never be guilty again. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are justified and righteous before God because of what he did for you on the cross, not because of anything you've ever done. Religion is a cancer that kills the peace and freedom from the child of God. Now, most of us here, we don't, we're not legalists. If I ask, are you a legalist? We, we look at some extreme case of legalism, and I've, I've seen them, I've been them. And we say, I'm not a legalist. I don't believe in all those things. But we all have these ideas in our head about what it means to follow God. What it means to stay right with God. As a child of God, there is freedom from the rules and regulations and religion that religion puts on us and that we put on ourselves. We don't live for God and obey God and show his character to earn his love or to earn his grace. We obey God and live for God because we are loved and because he has given us grace.